How's your cup of coffee, Father? You know, it is wonderful. I was, this is my second time out to the new coffee niche that we have in the gathering space. It's very nice. The Connection Center. Hello, everybody. uh, We're taking time out of our coffee break to talk to you. (laughs) We actually both made some coffee and then sat down and drank coffee for a while and then said... And we both said we should do a podcast, but let's sit here for five more minutes. We just let the coffee cool off. Five more minutes. That's the way I'm in the morning when the alarm goes off. Five more minutes. You know, I was listening, speaking of that, I was listening to something on the radio the other day and they were talking about, you know, all the decisions that we make every day. You know, there's so many judgments and decisions we make every day. And the first one every day is right when the alarm goes off. Do I get up or do I hit snooze? And the answer is? Depends on the day. Oh. Today I woke up. I never hit snooze on Sunday. No, not on a Sunday. I I have been known to set the alarm a half hour early. On Sunday? No, not not on Sunday, but other days. Half hour early just so I can hit snooze. Really? And make sure I'm still up in time. I, uh, I set multiple alarms on Saturday nights to make sure I'm ready to go for yeah. Sunday. Anyway, hello, everybody. Welcome. It's time for the 23 podcast. And it's number session 72. You mean you and I have had to talk to each other for 72 times? Times 23 minutes apiece. Wow. That's okay. A, that's a lot of quality time together. This is, yes. I always look forward to Tuesdays. I do too. It's always a good day of the week. Hey, we're going to pick up... Um, where we left off last week, for those of you that might be just joining us this week for the first time or maybe missed the last couple of episodes, first of all, shame on you. Second of all, let me catch you up. Um, we have been going over the dedication mass uh, just so people kind of an, have an idea of what to expect when they come or if for some reason you're not going to be here, you kind of have a, the background of what will be taking place there. So last week we talked about the litany of the saints and the placing of the relic in the altar. All of this takes place after the Liturgy of the Word. So we've had the scripture readings and and the homily. Correct. And then uh, I left off last week talking about this beautiful prayer of dedication that the bishop will pray. And I'm looking at the text right now. It takes up uh, a half a page, a full page. It's one and a half pages long of text. I mean, not solid text. Not solid text and and rather large print. But um, it's it's a little bit of a lengthy prayer, but really beautiful words. And then that takes us into our conversation today, the anointing of the altar and the walls of the church. With sacred chrism. Let me talk about sacred chrism. There are three holy oils in the church Mm -hmm. used in sacraments. The anointing of the sick, a lot of people know about that because we anoint people before surgery, often in emergency cases, sometimes uh, with chronic diseases. The second one is the oil of salvation formerly known as oil of catechumens, and it's it's kind of a preliminary pre-baptism anointing. Okay. Then the third one, which really gets the, the most significance, is the sacred chrism, and it always is used with the word sacred. Now, chrism is the same root word as Christ. Okay. And Christ means the anointed one. Mm-hmm. So it's almost redundant to anoint some, some, some wall or some altar or some person with the anointing oil, chrism, sacred chrism. Yeah. But it is, uh, at, at base, it's an olive oil, and then it has a sweet smelling. It's referred to as a perfume, but don't think about the kind of perfume that people wear. It's, it's, a, it's got a balm of some sort from the Middle East. It's very sweet smelling. Uh, oil. Mm-hmm. And when I baptize a child, I put it on per- pretty lavishly. 
so that people could smell it. I bet you remember the baptisms of your girls. I do. They smelled like chrism for a couple of days. You yeah. almost don't want to give them a, b- a bath afterwards because it smells so good. Yes. Parents feel the same way about um, confirmation. I had a parent last year say, this is the first time I've ever told my 14-year-old not to take a shower because I don't want them to not smell like chrism. They don't anymore. want it to run yeah. down the drain. <laughs> so the the image behind chrism is that something or someone, as usually the person, is set apart for something very special. Mm-hmm. And at the dedication mass, the bishop will put five little pools of chrism on the altar, right on the altar top. There's no altar cloth or anything. Yep. And in our case, the top of the altar is a beautiful, it's virtually black. It's it's not coal black, but black, dark uh, granite. Mm-hmm. And he'll put one on each corner and one in the middle, kind of symbolizing the five wounds of Jesus. And then very methodically, he will spread the oil out to cover every single bit of the altar top. After that, he will take the same chrism, and I will be, I think I'm the one who's supposed to do it. I will lead him around the church to four walls, one spot on each of the four walls, representing the building, and of course the building represents the people. Yeah. And he will with a, make a large cross on the wall, it, the wall itself, with the chrism. And he'll do four spots in the church, north, east, south, west, one on each wall. Yeah. In our case. Semi-north, semi-east, semi-south, <laughs> yeah. semi-west. North, north by northwest, yeah. south by southeast. Okay. <laughs> it's the musical version. Yeah. And uh, then, again, what does it mean? Well, it, it's a beautiful altar, but now it's set apart for God. Beautiful building, but now it's set apart for God. So that's what the chrism is all about. It truly is the anointing. It Probably it is the moment when the building goes from being a beautiful building to being a church. People always want to come down to what's the moment. I would, you know, you could argue that's the whole celebration and that's probably more accurate. Right. But this is probably the moment you're waiting for. The significant moment. He says, uh, the little prayer that he says right before he does that, He says, we now anoint this altar and this building. May God in his power make them holy, visible signs of the mystery of Christ and his church. And so while he is doing that, we'll be singing a song. And what are you singing? Uh, At that point of the Mass, we're singing Holy Spirit, Living Breath of God. You know, uh, uh, almost summoning of the Holy Spirit. Uh, It'll be beautiful. I hope so. That will tie people in with uh, confirmation as well. Yeah. Exactly. And then once he returns uh, back into the sanctuary, which is the area where the altar is in the church after walking around and anointing the walls. And I'll try not to trip him as we're walking around. That would be good. Uh, We move into the next portion of the dedication mass, which is uh, called the insensation of the altar and the church. And it begins with this. The bishop says, Lord, may our prayer ascend as incense in your sight. As this building is filled with fragrance, so may your church fill the world with the fragrance of Christ. Now, we have a very large church, so we have to do a lot of incensing to fill the fra- fill it with fragrance. Yeah. Normally, the bishop or any priest, when we're uh, incensing the altar, we do it, we walk around with the, the thurible, we incense it that way. Yep. In this time, however, uh, a large brazier is set literally on the altar. It's got... Uh, hot coals burning inside it Mm -hmm. and the bishop will put on lots and lots and lots 
of incense, and the smoke will go billowing all over the place. So the reason we introduced that new song last weekend called Worthy of It All is for the moment in the bridge, that text that we sang, day and night, night and day, let incense rise. That's what we're going to be singing in this portion of the Mass. Yeah, you know, I was reminded the words, not melody or meaning, but the words, uh, night and day of the old Cole Porter song. But that's <laughs> that, just me. That's not where I was. Yeah, okay. Uh, but but uh, I think it's going to be a really cool moment of the Mass. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. So it'll be, I think it's going to be a beautiful moment. And then after um, that brazier is on the altar and it's billowing, uh, Deacon Tom will actually walk around the church at that point. And, and incense the people. Yes. Very, very significant. Of course, we incense the, the clergy, but uh, the people are the church, so they will be incensed as well. Exactly. So, so folks, with that, may we move on to this week because we've got only two more Sundays in our present worship space. Let me ask you, you said at one of the Masses this weekend that makes you a little sad. Yes. I think people might be surprised to hear you say that. You want to expand on that a little bit i'm not sad about going into the new space that's very exciting but this has been home for me for 10 years yeah it's almost like you know you you upgrade your house but the other house that's where your kids grew up that's where you have wonderful christmas celebrations uh, oh, yeah. thanksgiving dinners and in the Roncalli hall which has been our worship space you know the the weddings i could, i'm going to be finding myself paging through the book looking at all the weddings that took place there. Hello. Because Yes, your wedding as well. I was well. there, yeah. What year? 2010, October 1st, 2010. Okay, we moved, we moved in in November of 2008. Well, I was thinking about that too. I mean, for me personally, in, in my faith journey and my family's faith journey, I got married here. Both of my children were baptized in oh, the, the Parish Life Center. Wonderful memories for people. Most recently, uh, we celebrated my dad's funeral in there. Yeah. So for me too, there is a strong attachment to the space, but I think more significantly to those of us that were a part of those celebrations. It's, it's the space, but it's what's happened inside the space. Yeah. Now, I have to t- tell you that personally, though, I have become so used to the space. I just like being there. I, I like it as a place to talk to people. Yeah, I like it as a place for celebrating Mass. I, I'm not using that, by saying that, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with what we're doing. In fact, quite the opposite. Yeah, you know, no, I, I, I uh, totally get you. Even for me musically, I know that room inside and out. I know when what what sh- it should sound like. when. And you know the dead spots. Yeah, the church for me has been, you know, I've only played in here in the church four times now. But in the, new, in the calling new church, the church the church. In the new church. Um, just getting used to what the room sounds like versus where I am to... You know, and it's, we know it's going to take on a whole new personality with people in it because that's why we designed it. Um, and, so, and I wrote in the bulletin this week: give us time because we're all going to be adjusting to the space. Yeah, it's going to be fun more more than anything else. So, let's get on to the readings for this week, and we are still in the Gospel of Mark this week, chapter nine, chapter nine, and twenty sixth Sunday of Ordinary Time. The first reading is Numbers one. Two, three. three. Okay, actually, it's chapter eleven. You could do it like the count from Sesame Street. One, ah, ah, ah. We don't watch this. That I was, don't. I don't watch Sesame Street. Neither do we. And that was a bad impression. I'm sorry. Okay, I wouldn't know. Okay, <laughs> the, it's a wonderful story, and we were talking about the Holy Spirit in the dedication mass. But it's the the whole account that Moses basically was sharing the leadership with other people. Mm-hmm. He had a list of people, and the Holy Spirit came upon them. 
But there were two people that missed it. And I love their names, Eldad and Medad. If, you, have, if you ever have twin boys, Eldad and Medad. <laughs> All but right. they were not at the gathering, and yet they were. the Holy Spirit came upon them as well. And so some people, young man came up to Moses and said, they're prophesying in the camp, but they were not, you know, uh, Joshua, son of Nun, who was from the youth, had been aid, said, Moses, my Lord, stop them. They were, and, and Moses said, are you jealous for my sake? The Holy Spirit go, goes beyond some of our own boundaries. Hmm. And that's the passage that gets picked up in the gospel, the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's basically used with the word prophesying. Or, so I, I was asking the Bible study, are there contemporary modern day prophets? Or do people speak in prophetic voice? So we might not say so-and-so is another Isaiah or an Elijah, yeah. but people have to speak with prophetic voice. So the first part of the gospel, and the gospel of Mark has two, two distinct halves. So I'll just read the first half. At that time, John said to Jesus, Teacher, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we tried to prevent him because he does not follow us. Jesus replied, Do not prevent him. There is no one who performs a mighty deed in my name who can at the same time speak ill of me, for whoever is not against us is for us. Anyone who gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ, amen, I say to you, will surely not lose his reward. And then, so he's basically saying, again, we don't control the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is big and powerful and empowers people. I love RCIA for that reason because I see this happening and not just with the candidates who come in, but often through the team members, through the uh, the sponsors, sometimes the words of wisdom that come from other people. Mm-hmm. And you know that old phrase, you know, out of the mouth of babes. Yeah. You know, sometimes they remind you of something that you should have and you feel kind of self-conscious. Oh, like, sure. Like, like oh, oh, Dad, we forgot to pray before we eat. That's happened at my house before. Yeah. Which is good. It, it's good that, you know, we've gotten them into a ri- enough of a rhythm that they realize sometimes oh, so, yeah, and that's, we forget. Yeah, and that is the power of the Holy Spirit being bigger than one person. I don't control the Spirit. And that's a healthy parish when we realize that. Mm. And now, of course, there's a whole way of saying, is it really the Spirit or is it just oh, yeah. you pushing your, your own personal agenda? Yeah. So, yeah, of course, we have to discern the Spirit. We have to learn that. But the best way to be faithful to the Spirit is being connected with the community. Mm-hmm. Uh, that phrase we used last Sunday, you know, uh, be connected. Life is better connected. Life is better connected. Yeah. It is better connected. Yeah. I, you know, especially sitting there having coffee together. Look at us. Yeah. In our the, I, I think, well, I've been doing it for years, but I think I'm going to officially call it the, the coffee ministry. Just drinking coffee with people? All day long. <laughs> That's called retirement. <laughs> <laughs> You're not there yet. Oh, no. Um, in, in terms of the Holy Spirit, you know, we, do you think at, at this point, you know, we always say, well, the Holy Spirit, quote, unquote, came upon the apostles at Pentecost. Do you think at this point in there, their journey with Jesus, they had a idea of the spirit or the Holy spirit and how that was at work. Well, they certainly had a sense of the spirit of God because remember the first reading is from the book of numbers and they would have known that. Okay. So the, the concept that the spirit of God spreads itself onto people and into people was not new. Mm -hmm. Now to talk about it 
in a, a full-blown uh, Trinitarian philosophy or theology, Father, yeah. Son, Holy Spirit, they probably weren't there yet. They weren't taking a master courses on Trinitarian theology. Exactly. Right. It was undergrad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, we always talk about the Holy Spirit with the confirmation students, and it's such an sometimes abstract thing to try to talk to a 13-year-old to much less an adult. What would you say are some of the key takeaways that people need to be aware of to kind of recognize the Holy Spirit in their own lives? I think it's the better inclination within you. Not just that you are taught well and that suddenly uh, the idea of defending the, the kid that's being bullied by someone else. Yeah. That could be a sign of one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Uh-huh. But it could also be the fact that you were trained well. Mm-hmm. And those are not mutually exclusive. So maybe the Holy Spirit even works through your parents in how they train you. But you can usually know that it's the Holy tri- Holy Spirit. If it's positive, it builds up and doesn't tear down. Mm-hmm. It's unitive. It connects with other people. It's always, a, the Holy Spirit's always about unity. I am finding more and more the sense of proclamation. The mm-hmm. Holy Spirit allows you to proclaim truth truth as far as we know it yeah i don't know anybody has the right to say i've got truth right because i mean we we might say i i want to live by truth but we don't fully know it because truth with a capital t is godly Mm -hmm. and we don't know god Um, the holy spirit empowers us to go beyond ourselves the holy spirit is always consistent with the scriptures so it's not the Holy Spirit if it says, I want you to go out and invest this money and get rich so that you can have your vacation home. Now, I'm going to have to make a phone call real quick. I'm sorry. No, that, <laughs> that, that might not be anti-Christianity. Right. I mean, you can, you can plan ahead. Yeah. But I'm not sure that's actually the Holy Spirit that's saying that. Do you think sometimes, too, it's something that's challenging? It's maybe not necessarily safe. It makes us go outside of our comfort zone a little bit. I think I've always lived my life on the edge. People have often asked, you know, why do I travel the way I do? It's a third world countries. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been in countries that have been at, while war was going on. Mm-hmm. I was in Nicaragua while the Sandinista war was happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, going into going into death row on a regular basis. You know, there's been any number of times I've done things like that. Yeah. It's not just physical danger. It's like, yes, living your life on the edge in the sense that the Holy Spirit's pulling you to something beyond your normal comfort zone. Yeah. Did you want to talk at all about the second half of the gospel? Well, the second half of the gospel is so misused, but I'll go through it real quickly. It goes on, let me go with that last line I just read. Amen, I say to you, anyone who uh, gives a cup of water be- to you because you belong to Christ will surely not lose his reward. Then it goes on. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believes believes in me to sin, it would be better for him if, if a great millstone were put around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed maimed, than with two hands to go into Gehenna, into the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life crippled 
than with two feet to be thrown into Gehenna. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Better for you to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into Gehenna, where the worm dies not and the fire is not quenched. It's very uplifting. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) On a rainy day. Yes. Very positive. The good news of the Lord. (laughs) Now, we don't take this literally. I hope not. But the the message here is, first of all, to do good things and not bad things, but don't put yourself in harm's way. Mm. I was talking about that the the other night with the parents of reconciliation, and we're talking about what is sin. And I said, one of the old principles of Catholic moral theology is avoid the unnecessary occasion of sin. They used to use the word occasion. Okay. Uh, What does that mean? well, the, you don't put yourself where you are likely to be tempted beyond your strength. Yeah. If, for example, you are a greedy person mm-hmm. and you tend to want to steal things, then you don't volunteer to be the treasurer of the soccer club. No. Uh, you don't put yourself in harm's way. Yeah. Same thing, you know, nowadays there's so many temptations on the internet, whether right. it's gambling or pornography or just plain waste of time. Right. You don't put yourself in harm's way. But I could say that about many, many things. And it's there, the temptation. So you have to step away from it. How do you learn to do good? You surround yourself with good people. The things that build up, whether it's the music or what you choose to watch uh, on TV or movies, what you choose to read, certainly the people you hang out with, how you spend your time. you, You mentioned making decisions. Yeah, We have to make decisions all the time. We don't just fall into things. And it's always called the unnecessary occasion of sin. Once in a while, you cannot control it. You might have to work with some people who are always tearing down and destroying. Mm-hmm. And then you really need the grace of God. You know, we have to make many decisions a day. And right now, the computer is making the decision for us that the podcast is coming to an end. Well, it's been nice being with you again for another 23 minutes. Hey, let's do it again next week. I won't have to talk to you until next week. Thanks. (laughs) Have a great week, everybody. Bye.